know, I'm not one of those chefs that's like, this is what we do. You're coming here. This is what you're going to have. Ultimately, if we can make the guests feel like they've been looked after at the best level, they've had just what they wanted, you know, they didn't, they weren't forced to have anything they didn't want, then that's, that's what we'll do. To celebrate 500 episodes of Dirty Linen, I wanted to do something special, really special. I thought I'd spend a week at a restaurant that has been a extremely special place for Melbourne milestones for more than 20 years. Voodamond was founded by a fiercely ambitious, bolshy young chef, Shannon Bennett in 2000. From its beginnings in a tiny terrace in Carlton, it moved first to the city and then in 2011 to its current home on level 55 of the Rialto Towers. Today's guest is the executive chef of Voodamond, Hugh Allen. Hugh came to the restaurant, well, he's come back to the restaurant uh, to take on that role in 2019 when he was just 23. Uh, he's certainly one of Australia's chefs to watch. Hugh, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thanks for having me. Thank you for helping me celebrate my milestone, but uh, it's definitely not about me. It's now all about you. Tell us what it's like to be the executive chef of a restaurant that has such an important place in Australian culinary culture. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's awesome. Um, yeah, I think I think it's sort of a bit of a, a chef's dream to, to run a place like that um, where, you know, you, you can – you know, you're not, I guess, in a sense, for me, it was my first ever sort of executive chef job or sort of big, big job. So to be able to walk into a sort of established place, it was, you know, it was a much more comforting um, experience than if I think of I was having to start a, start a, something complete from from fresh. So, but yeah, it's just a really amazing thing. We have a really big, amazing team and, and the venue's um, awesome. So no, it's, it's a pleasure every day, really. From that open kitchen uh, with views, the same views that the customers have essentially out over the city. I mean, it's um, what does it feel like to come to work every day? Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I would say I'm pretty used to it now after multiple years um, looking at it. But it's 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 like it's, it's such a better way of working. Um, like generally, kitchens are hidden out the back in a stainless steel cage with no windows, so. It's kind of the polar opposite. You can, you know, the whole day you're looking out over, you know, big, large, huge windows outside. Um, so even even though you know we might do you know a big day, it's you know you don't feel like you're sort of trapped in some sort of stainless steel kitchen. You you really feel like you're part of, you know, you just you're part of the room. You're part of the you know the outside almost. Um, so yeah, it's it's a much better work experience, a way of working for sure. Um, also, it's just nice to have beautiful windows as well. Yeah, I mean, you just probably, as much as you're used to it, I reckon you never get sick of that sunset. No, the sunset is sick, for sure. <laughs> I, I still, like, um, I've taken photos, like, every night. It's a nice sunset. Like, if you look through, if I scroll through my phone, it's just literally, like, dog, 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 something else, dog, sunset, 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 dog, sunset. <laughs> <laughs> It's great. It sounds a bit like mine, except mine's dog, 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 sunrise, food, 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 dog. <laughs> um, so you were uh, working at Rockpool as a very young apprentice when you first set your sights on Voodamond. Can you tell me about the your walk uh, after work from Rockpool and, and how you encountered Voodamond first? Um, yeah, sure. So, like, I, I did obviously looked up, to Vitamon a lot, I, like Shannon was, 
you know, they're probably the, like the, the biggest, hottest chef when I was um, growing up um, and and looking to start in, in working in kitchens. And But yeah, I got started at Rockpool um, for my first sort of year and a half of my apprenticeship, two years of my apprenticeship. Um, and then I'd always walk walk home, sort of cross the arrow and then walk past the Rialto and, and the in the in the downstairs there used to be a, a TV screen above the host desk with the a video of the kitchen, um, sort of the, from the kitchen service kitchen upstairs, and I'd always walk past and like stop and watch the the, the TV for a little bit and think you know how that's you know what a beautiful kitchen I, I wish I could work one there one day like it was just to be able to work you know it was a big goal for me just to be able to get in there one day and then um, yeah I'd do that you know, most nights my walk home just walk past look up the screen watch the chefs upstairs for a little bit and then go home. So, um, yeah, just when I got the opportunity to eventually work there, that was, you know, pretty um, awesome um, for me as it was. So Yeah, yeah. but <laughs> when you first worked at Vudemond, you didn't actually get the great view and you weren't actually in that kitchen, were you? No, no, well, you start somewhere. no I, was, I was my first job. I, I basically was like, I'll just do it, take, do anything. Um just to get just to get in, in sort of in the door. So my first job was basically like in the we have a kitchen in the basement um, called called Level A, and I would just be like the little dude that would like bring up everyone's stuff and and unpack stuff and scale fish and just sort of all the shitty jobs and all the sort of just receivables and like very little cooking to be honest. Um, but that was kind of my first you know first little bit um for quite, for quite a while i think it's like a, a year off my like off my head but yeah i was there for quite a while um and yeah literally it was just sort of the little helper did you get any opportunities to work upstairs to be to be actually seen by by people um not really I, occasionally i'll come up um on like a friday night i'll just run around and do a little bit of service um but not not really um yeah not not, not the start I kind of I think that gave me a, a a good sort of real good foundation of of the of the restaurant because you know I for my first you know year I literally was just like unpacking deliveries and bringing things up for people and and scaling fish and like doing a little bit of butchery and stuff like that so I wasn't really involved in service at all but when I eventually got to the you know moved upstairs full time to do more more service side you know I really had a really good understanding of how things work you know, if things weren't delivered, how could I get, you know, work it out or who, who the contacts were. Like, I, I think it was actually, in hindsight, like, I was like, oh, you know, why am I doing this? I want to be more chefy. But in hindsight, I think it was a really um, positive way of starting. It's interesting because, I mean, a lot of people would perhaps be impatient. They might even move to a different restaurant if they weren't getting, you know, that daily experience that they thought they wanted. I mean, do you think that that's a, a bit of a danger in the industry these days that people do sometimes progress very quickly or or are happy just to um, jump from place to place yeah i think for, for sure like there's definitely be a change like, especially since covid like everyone there's so much option for chefs because there's been a you know obviously there's a shortage globally of of, of chefs around so everyone's fully aware they could get a job tomorrow somewhere else um so there is i guess you know for better and for worse but a more sense of entitlement or like you know i want to be doing that now i want to be doing that now that's not what i was expecting you know this is what i want and and i'll just move if i can't get it and so there is definitely much more um 
jumping job. Not for us, to be honest. Like we've most of our chefs have been there three, four years. Like we've really got a sort of. I mean, Danny, you probably know most of them, <laughs> to be honest. Um, you know, through through your time. So we we, we have a really long term team uh, mostly, but there is de- definitely a um, these days much more moving around and much more you know wanting to do more earlier on. Which in one way, you know, it's I guess you could say it's just them being ambitious, but it's also you know, I think the expectation sometimes that is, you know, it's my second year working in the kitchen. I should be, you know, doing the meat roast or doing the meat prep. You know, like it's it's just when I was in apprentice, it was not the case. Like you, it just wasn't that way. Like, and that wasn't that long ago, but that just wasn't the way. Like you would, you know, I kind of I kind of like that. Like in in you know when you see documentaries of or about chefs in Japan and stuff, and and they for like five years they let you just do like washing rice and unpacking deliveries and, and like fish prep, but they don't actually get to do any, you know, any of the other jobs for, for years until they like really master that. Um, and there's two sides. I think like people should be, you know, kept in, kept being engaged and kept being motivated and kept doing new things or at the same time, you know, I really feel like you should be able to master before you move on, you should be master your tasks in that, in that, in that field before you, you start to do, you know, try to do everything. Um, but yeah, it's hard these days because it's, you have to, you know, you have to work, it goes both ways, you know, whatever the employee wants, it's important. Whatever the employee wants is important. So. Yeah. It's, I mean, uh, people might look at, at you, you're like, you're 27 now, you're executive chef of a top restaurant um, and think that you've sort of, you know, rushed to the top, but can you just give us a sense of, of your career, like how old you were when you started and, and um, yeah, just give us a, a little potted history. Well, I sort of, when I started, I started doing some work experience. Um, I was in school, so I was like 15 at Rockville and then then I started my apprenticeship after that year finished. I was probably 16 when I officially started my apprenticeship and then I did so a year and a half, two years there. So then I think it was like nearly 18 when I started at View and then I did three years at view again starting downstairs just real basic stuff and then eventually getting upstairs and I feel like once I got upstairs like I did move pretty quickly around um I was you know pretty confident like I picked it up pretty quickly um and and when I finished my apprenticeship so I was at view for about three years and I stayed on a little bit after my apprenticeship but I'd always wanted to to live overseas and, and move overseas as just as a life experience uh, for if anything but Obviously, I'd always look to to Noma, and you know, you know, all the that was when you know they're winning best restaurant in the world constantly, and all these things, and oh, publishing heaps of you know amazing books, and you know, for, for me, and obviously they just set the the trend of cooking, you know, in the last decade. So it made sense that you know I want to go straight to the source. Um, so yeah, basically I just got a um. Got a plane ticket and a, a working holiday visa, and just went to to, to Copenhagen, and just tr- you know did everything I could to try to get a, a job there, which was you know it was, it wasn't easy. Like it was a drawn out process. I did um, different bits and bobs, lying about different things. You just yeah, just to really find get my foot in the door. But then eventually I got I did a couple of weeks when I got to Copenhagen and Noma, and then they were they were happened to do Noma Australia which was like, this was 2015 and then there in Australia, it was 2016. So in January, so I was like, I was, I'd moved to Copenhagen and got a lease and everything. I was like, 
oh, I'll be back. Actually, I'll be back in Australia um, around that time. So, you know, if you need extra bodies or whatever, just like I would happily come and just help out. Like not, not paid or anything, just just basically just trying to get my foot in the door. But I had no reason or want to come back here. I just literally moved, got to Copenhagen and got a lease and everything. But I didn't have a job, obviously. Um, so then I flew back to 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 Sydney I'm not from Sydney either like I've never spent much I never spent much time in Sydney then um I was just staying at like a hostel or something I was um yeah just so I did a couple of weeks work experience I guess helping out more so than work experience um and then I was sort of the right place at the right time and someone left or walked out I can't remember the exact story but and I went on to do some other things I was to travel through France for, for a few months and then I got a text from the head chef um, Ben and uh, he said oh like are you cause are you you know we're, we're looking for someone now to, to to join the team and I was in Copenhagen you know probably five minutes from the restaurant but I didn't want to sound like a look like a weirdo they're just hanging out in Copenhagen hoping for a job so I was like yeah no problem I'll be there next week um you know, I'll fly over, I'll be there next week. But I was already, you know, I was 10 minutes away from Copenhagen uh, from, the, from the restaurant. So, um, yeah. It, it's so crazy, Hugh. Like, I just, I don't know if it's quite clear to everyone listening, but basically you didn't have a job, but you went to Copenhagen and you took out a 12-month lease just because you reckoned you were going to bother them until they gave you a job. Then you just, like, randomly, well, you just basically – followed the restaurant to Sydney and lurked around Sydney <laughs> waiting to get a – you're like a Noma stalker. And then you st- <laughs> you went back to Copenhagen. You had your lease already because you were th- that confident or silly that you were – You know, I was like – I think I've always like, I'll work, you know, I'll work it out. You know, I'll just work it out. But, yeah. And then – but I didn't want to seem like a creepo that was like – just stalking them around so that's why i was like oh yeah i'll fly over no problem like i'll be there in a week um you know i feel like i was just like i'm just, just loitering hoping for a job like um i'll they'll come across as strange so but you know it's 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 where i wanted it's really really where i wanted to go and and, and be and and i just had my mindset on that and i think if i didn't get get into that restaurant i would just would have been disappointed um i just would have been disappointed so yeah, so I just that's that's what I did, but um, you, you know that was even though that was only 2015 or seven years ago, I still feel like that would be really hard to do now. Um, that kind of you know just rocking up and let me you know just I'll happy to help out kind of thing. Like now it's there's a lot of tape around things, so you know I was sort of definitely a bit of the right place at the right time um, as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, what would you say to a young chef who you know, it's not as easy to um, do a stage at places. Um, there's obviously a lot of attention on paying people properly for hours worked, which is which is great. But the flip side of it is that it does mean that um, stories like yours would be harder to to live out um, live out now. I mean, what's yeah? What would you say to a young chef who perhaps has the same ambition and desire? Uh, how would they make their way? Like it's like it's it's just you know it's, it'll be, it'll be harder for sure. Like it's going to be because the risk of now a restaurant, you know, some countries don't allow interns. 
um, unless it's through an educational thing. So, or like staging, unless it's through like an educational through a TAFE or something like that. So I'm pretty sure the states don't allow it and a bunch of other countries don't allow it. So it, it is now much harder just to be able to be like, hey, I'm going to New York and can I go spend a week at, or per se or whatever. Like you, you just can't do that now or it would be much more difficult unless you knew a chef or something or like you're friends with someone that was a senior chef there and they'll let you come spend hang out for a bit. But, you know, 10 years ago, it was so normal just to be like traveling and then wherever you were, you know, you might be in Japan and then, you know, you know someone that works at an amazing omakase restaurant or something and be able to go spend, you know, a week there. Or for me, like I went, I was, went through France for a few months and I was just, you know, staging a bunch of three stars and, and, and more casual places and, and whatnot. You know, I didn't speak a word of French. They didn't speak to me. But, like, we just, were, you know, we worked it out. Um, and, you know, I just – it was just not only was it amazing cooking experience and just to be able to see, you know, being a big Parisian three star, but also just a, like a cool life experience. Just, you know, just getting on the metro, getting, a, you know, really cliche, but like getting a croissant in the morning, getting a little coffee, getting on the metro – you know, walk, walking through Paris, going to a little, a th- a th- you know, back door of a three-star Michelin restaurant, doing a week there. You know, re- did I learn much? No, I learned nothing. Like, I not, I don't remember anything. I was potting peas and stuff, but it wasn't about that. It was just a amazing, you know, life experience as a young 18, 19-year-old in Europe, first time, you know, without my parents overseas, you know, just throwing myself in the deep end. And, I, you know, for me, like, I feel like I matured heaps during that period. And if I didn't, if I didn't have those experiences by myself in Europe, you know, set, trying to set myself up, you know, I don't think I I could have been 23, 24 and, and, you know, coming back and taking over a sort of a, a large, um, you know, high end restaurant. I, I think because I had those, you know, big life experiences when I was younger, well, even, you know, I'm still young, even younger, um, you know, that, that really gave me maturity and, and just like more experience, not in, in the cooking side, but just as, as a as a person, as a you know, as a you know, just as a human in, in the industry. So yeah, it's 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 definitely more difficult. But I'd still say like you just go work out where you, if you ha- if there's ways you can get get in there if you know a chef or, or something, or if you, if it's, you can do it through some sort of program now, um, and and still and still just try to immerse yourself and, and don't worry too much about if you go and you just pot in peas or something, because if you think about too much about what the jobs you're doing, like you're missing the point. The point is just to, to see and be and feel the energy of a restaurant and, and see, you know, the different setups. And you might not think you're learning something, but you are like how they're packing stuff away or how, you know, the, the, the fridges are like the walking cool rooms, like the, how do they break them down or, you know, different setups, different equipment you might be able to use. Like, even if you feel like I'm not, you know, doing the meat section in the service kitchen, I thought that's what I'd be doing. You'd still be picking up stuff without really knowing it. And down the line in your career, you'll, you'll, you'll start doing stuff. You're like, oh shit, that's, you know, that's, I'll do that like that. And that's, and you don't even realize, but that's where you picked it up on, on, you know, different experiences you've done. Um, yeah. Interesting. So, I mean, for the junior chefs at Vue Demand, what kind of experience do you think they're they're getting? What what is it? What's good about it as a place to work? Well, it's, well obviously the, the 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 kitchen's like awesome. It's it's an amazing environment. Produce and everything we use, there's no compromise. Like everything's you know the best of the best in terms of ingredients and products. Um, you know, everything's comes in like nothing comes in 
you know, pre- you know, frozen or already prepped or portioned or you know, everything is done from scratch. Um, and then just the team, like the the management team, which I'm sure will be on this podcast, but they're just they're like, like again, I've staged and worked in some of the best places in the world, and I really do think that the team we have at the restaurant is really truly world class. From from the you know we have two master sommeliers. Dorian and Carlos, you know, there's only 250 something in the world, dead or alive, that have ever passed it. You know, the depth of knowledge and experience in wine, um, you know, making, um, you know, production, aging, and also wine service um, in a restaurant. You know, that 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 level of expertise is is very rare and ex- ex- extremely. Um, you know, even in Australia, there's only like six, five or six in Australia, and there's two at the restaurant. So. If you were to work in the front of house or in the wine team, you know they're, they're these the, you know Dorian Carlos doing service most like nearly every day. Mm. So you know you just you're immersing yourself in a place where there's only a handful in Australia, or not even one hand in Australia full, and you know only you know probably I don't know there's probably 200 alive in the world. Um, so that's that's in mean, the wine side that's incredible. You know in the kitchen side we've got you know you know Marsh, you know, Chris, his first name. He, you know, he was worked at some amazing restaurants around the world. You know, Russian Golden Ramsey, Three Michelin Star. You know, real classic fundamentals in a restaurant. Um, and a, a real, you know, just you know, mature, you know, stable leader. You know, doesn't you know doesn't forget things, doesn't miss things. You know, just really consistent. Um, and like you know, amazing head chef. You've got Claire. Um, you know, Dutch Claire, you know, she worked at 11 Madison Park and in, in, in New York and a bunch of other really top restaurants in, in Netherlands. Um, you know, Michael, um, he, you know, he worked with me at Noma. He's an intern when I was at Noma and then he stayed on and, and uh, you know, was a section leader at Noma and then came back and, and joined us. Um, you know, we got we just the, the teams, just Hugo, again, worked at the general manager, worked at uh, Dinner by Heston, Restaurant Gordon Ramsay, Open Dinner by Heston in Melbourne, um, Restaurant Manager at Vidamon, now the General Manager, but like the sweetest, nicest, most caring, um, you know, sharp, schmick, you know, legend of a guy. Um, and his brother, you know, Carlos's brother, which is, you know, I don't know if that's good or bad, but um, they are, you know, the you know, two brothers on the floor. And then Raj is just, you know, he, he came from, you know, bars and pub background, but he's has is the best with guests you've ever seen. He'll go, you know, to to another level. You know, one time he literally made a there's a little a family with a young girl. She was probably like four or five, and she was brought a sheep, a little sheep soft toy with a sheepy was the sheep's name. And Raj literally organised a fourteen course tasting menu for the sheep. Um, you know, like mini soup, like mini cheese platter. Um, you know, tiny little souffle in like an espresso cup when everyone else got their large souffle, you know, like baby portions of everything for the for the little sheep because she, the little girl didn't want sheepy to miss out. You know, just like that unreasonable level of, of guest experience, Raj just goes to another level, sometimes too far. Sometimes we have to like be like, tone it down, Raj, you're going too much. But he's just like, if he can do anything for the guest, like to try to get the wow factor, he, he just like there's no limits for him. Like Raj, put away the sewing machine. You are not going to make an outfit for Sheepy on the dining floor tonight. Uh, like honestly, <laughs> I would not be surprised. Like literally like I saw he was started buttering in an espresso cup. I was like, are you making a mini souffle? He's like, yeah, chef, we are. We are, <laughs> you know, like so like he, he's, uh, you know, sometimes he goes too, you know, too far, but he's you know, just 
he's got no matter what his days or what's happened to him outside work he's he's just whatever he can do to blow a guest away he, he does it so you know if, if working in that environment we have such um you know incredible leaders and and strong strong chefs um you know you just pick up so much and, and be, just best practice and and commitment to to the industry and and to to looking after the guests and we also just have like a good culture. Like I'm sure, Dan, you've 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 been up many times. You, you we just have a good vibe upstairs. We have a good culture, um, and we only employ people that you know want to be part of you know what you know it's been built on the culture we've worked hard to to build. You know, if we ever have someone start and they don't just they're not fitting in or they're just like sort of you know it just has you know there's this issue starts to be issues with different people and hurt them or or, or whatever it is. We just deal with that straight away. Like we don't let, we don't just deal with people that want to ruin, you know, a, a, a really good tight knit culture because you're together for so long. You know, if you on a day you do lunch and dinner, yeah, it's it's quite a, you know it changes, but it's it's at least twelve hours together. Um, you know, it's a long time to be together in in a in a kitchen or in the, in the front of house. So if someone's not fitting in, just dealing with that straight away. So yeah, we just we just keep. We just keep it as like positive and, and and fun as possible, and also just trying to pursue you know excellence in what we do, and and give every guest as aspirational experiences as, as we can. Um, and yeah, you just as a young chef, I think it's being immersed in all that is is, is pretty special. Um, yeah. And as a leader, Hugh, like I mean, how have you grown into the role, and what sort of leader do you aspire to be? Um, yeah, like I'm still, I'd say I'm still growing as a, as a leader. Like I'm, um, I don't think that I'm no expert in leadership, but um, you know, I think for for me, it's just, you know, I think I'm pretty kind. I'm I'm, I'm a kind person. Like I don't, I'm not a yelly, screamy chef whatsoever. I'm very like I don't hold grudges on people. I'm not, you know, there's I don't I can I think if you spoke to anyone upstairs, you may have seen me scream or shout like a few, maybe two or three times in, in four years. Like it's just not something I do. Um, and so, yeah, I think in, in that sense, it just, you know, I keep always bring a positive energy. I think if you, as a, the leadership team, if, if you're negative, it's kind of contagious. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's not just kitchens. I'm sure it's any workplace, but if, if a leader or the manager or, you know, the senior group is, is just being grumpy or just being, being a dick, like it's just, you, that's contagious, and that will, the 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 slightly less senior people will start being a bit like oh blah, 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 and then to the commies, and then the commies will be out to the apprentices, and then you, just that trickles down that negativity that um it's that can, sort of you know cancerous in depth toxic sort of behavior. Some some people like if you if the leadership team is like that, it just trickles down. Um, so I, I'm fully aware that how how the, what the mood is in the team and what how people, you know, want to react with each other is is obviously comes, you know, from me and, and Chris and Hugo and and how we are and how we interact will will, will have a very strong flow on effect and that sort of c- contagious effect to other staff. So I think for me, no matter what, again, one thing I'm I think I'm good at is no matter what's happening, like the team never will feel it themselves, um, or whatever you know stresses I have or whatever. That's they'll just think I'm the normal calm positive hue like they're, they're not you know they're, they're never like oh shit how, what's chef's mood today um i hope he's in a good mood like it's you know i really come in just being trying to be consistently the same um 
I think that's you know some probably a strong suit. But I, again, I don't have I've got flaws obviously as well. So, but that's what uh, you have a team for. So, what about the ownership? Of the restaurant, Hugh, because when you, I mean, you were drawn to the restaurant partly because of Shannon Bennett. Um, When you came back to the restaurant, Shannon was still involved, but not long after you took over, um, the the remainder of the restaurant was um, sold to the Far East Group based in Singapore. How involved are they and, and what's it like having offshore owners? Um, well, we, we, we're left to manage it and run it. Um, where we meet with them in terms of, you know, bigger picture stuff. If, we, for example, we're, we were planning to do a big renovation this year, um, you know, obviously they would have to approve any, all the spending and, and in further investment. Um, but in terms of a day to day, we don't, they're not, they, 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 the reason they bought it is because they wanted the best practice, the best, um, team they could get and let you know so they send people to us to if they because they own different restaurants and different cafes and whatnot but they send their staff to us to learn from us um, and that's they they bought view vitamin as more of an academy for their because you know they're huge um, you know developers and they own hotels and restaurants and different things um, but they they bought us as a as a place to send their people um to come and, and work with us and, and learn from us so that they're extremely respectful of everything we do. And, and I've never, you know, I've never have even, you know, during COVID they're very supportive, you know, everyone that couldn't get JobKeeper, they matched JobKeeper. So for you know, the non Aussies or PR, they, they matched, they paid JobKeeper for them. Um, obviously, you know, that wasn't, you know, there, there's no expectation to that. So they're very respectful. They're very, um, you know, kind. They let us go, and they really, you know, un, you know, appreciate the level we run at and and what we do and and what we strive to achieve. Um, and they don't, yeah, they don't tell us like they never come and said, oh, Hugh, you need to start doing this, or you know, Hugh, we want to start doing more covers, or you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, you know, for me, like I've had no negative experiences with them whatsoever. But does the restaurant have to stand on its own feet financially? Uh, yeah, we, we well, we we do. Um, like we. We, you know, we're not raking in cash by any means, but we we, we run independently. Like we, we don't need any, they don't prod us up. But, you know, if we were to do, for example, the renovation or whatnot, that that investment comes from them. It's not, you know, we're not, we're not paying for that. You know, we're paying them back essentially through, but it's just, it's just moving money around the same company really. But um, yeah, we, we do stand up on our own on our own feet but no we definitely they definitely heavily support support the the group for sure so Hugh, i'd love to chat to you about creativity and and dish development because i imagine that's something that takes up a lot of your headspace i mean talk to me about how you think about creating new dishes um just well uh, to be honest like uh, one big one is just when we get bored like sometimes you you know, a dish we put on, and we just be like, no, this, this is not. We're not feeling it. Um, you know, a few weeks in, so we'll just change it immediately. Um, and then obviously, seasonality obviously drives. You know, that forces our hands. So, if, for example, we, you know, asparagus is a very short season. Victorian asparagus is only you know six six weeks, six eight weeks at tops. Um, so you know, once that's we only do that for six eight weeks, so then 
obviously we're working on other stuff, but we're always, you know, I always try to think for, you know, for, further in front. So, you know, now we're, we're starting to think about autumn um, and we started working on autumn dishes or and, and late some, sort of late summer dishes, which will change. And, yeah, some, sometimes it's a, it's a real fluid thing. Sometimes, you know, I've got a very strong idea that in my head of a, a dish or, you know, an ingredient that I want to work with and how I want to prep it and, and sometimes, you know, I have an idea and then as I'm playing, it turns into something completely different and like, you know, 100% different to what originally the thought was. Um, you know, sometimes I'm just chopping something on a bench in a certain way and I'm thinking, oh, that kind of looks cool. Um, maybe that could work its way into a presentation or something. So there's no like set set um, set way or, or anything, but it's, it's definitely what I would consume most of my time in terms of when I'm in the kitchen. Um, it's definitely what I f- my main focus is. I think it's one of, one of my strongest suits. I, th- I think Chris is much better at, you know, ordering and main- rostering and, and making sure the maintenance is done and all the equipment's there, um, you know, that kind of more administrative thing. He's, you know, he's, he's, it's definitely his, his strongest suit over me. Um, and I think, you know, I'm quite a, quite a creative person and, and – uh, and uh, yeah, just that's what I focus on. So, do you get inspiration from uh, things outside of the kitchen when uh, that might f- fold into a dish? Uh, yeah, like for a hundred percent. I say the main one, at, like uh, at the moment, is is being um, plants, like um, native plants, like gum nuts and and bottle brushes, and and I'm working on a banksia pod um, dessert at the moment. Um, so like just the, the natural form of a product is, you know, make, you know, just is, is beautiful in itself. So, um, for example, the gum nut we do done for a while, that was literally my mum during COVID, um, she went on a walk and there's a storm, there's like a, one of those big storms and the power lines fell down. Um, and she, all these gum nuts, she brought home all these gum nuts as like a little decoration for the dining table. Um, I was like, well, that kind of looks good because I was sitting on a dining table and I was like, that, you know, that could be a cool little, you know, petty four to finish. And then I found a, 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 bron- a sculptor who makes bronze. And when you make bronze, you need to make molds and then melt the wax out of the mold and then re- recast it, etc., etc. So I was like, could you do make a mold with these gum nuts um, using these ones my mum collected and, and, uh, but don't obviously just melt the wax out, but obviously don't cast it in bronze. Just give me that, give me those molds. Um, and she was like, "Yeah, absolutely." And so I sent off those those gum nuts to her in, in Sydney, and she she made these sort of silicon wax replicas of these these gum nuts. Um, and so the gum nuts we serve, we we fill them with it changes, but at the moment it's a roasted wattle seed and caramelized white chocolate sort of moussey thing. Um, but they those gum nuts are identical to you know the ones. My mum brought home and on a walk, um, they've been moulded off those exact gum nuts. So, just that, using natural form, um, I think for me is is the most beautiful. But you know, you just see stuff whether it's colour combinations or or you know whether it's a gallery or or um, you know, for example, one time I saw a a concert. Oh, and I was watching Star Wars, and in at the start of Star Wars, as you all know, like the, the opening credits when the song comes on. Like you instantly know what it is. You instantly get excited. You're instantly like, you know, oh, sick, sick. We're watching Star Wars, and you know that that's purely from that song. And so, 
it sort of got squashed by COVID, but, you know, we might revisit. But we'll, I was speaking with the MSO about making a, th- a theme song. I sound a bit tacky, but a theme song for Vitamon. So when you're in the lift, there's some sort of song which is only ever played in that in that lift. So when when you get in, it's like that opening credits of Star Wars. You know, you suddenly get like, oh, you know, fuck, we're going to Vinamon. That's how exciting, you know. Like, we're, and there, it comes real before the, and then the lift opens and there's, Hugo's there to bring you into your table and, and every time, you might not notice it the first time, but if you if you come once a year or, you know, every few years, that's, you might start to know that song and, and that's, that was just from watching Star Wars. So like, you know, it can be from any, it's super weird. Like it's, it's just anything. Yeah. It got pretty. It got pretty. Like we, it got pretty far down the line. Like we were meeting composers and stuff like that, and then just sort of COVID happened and, and didn't get there. But we might revisit it for the for the Renault. But yeah, that was that was just like one idea. But that was literally watching Star Wars. But then it can be my mum bringing home some gum nuts after you know a, 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 a storm. So it's it's very all over. Yeah, so interesting. So, I mean, Vudamon is, like, as you mentioned, like a place some people might come to once a year, some people might come to once in their life, some people might think it's completely out of reach and they'll never go there, but at the same time you do have regulars. Can you can you talk about the diners that, that come to you, um, yeah, just how you think about them, what kind of experience you try to create for them? Yeah, well, we're actually speaking of this. Yes, in, in briefing, um, most of our guests aren't the ultra elite of Melbourne. I think that's a, a, a common misconception that we're just for the high, you know, fine dining just for these high net worth individuals and and it's for the ultra elite of, of Melbourne. But, you know, we do 55 guests a day, or a, a night, you know, maybe 250 guests a week, you know, times that by 52. I don't know if you've got a calculator, but that's, it's probably, you know, it's thousands of guests a year. We don't, there's, not that many, there's not thousands of people that are, multi multi you know 100 millionaires that can just spend heaps of money on every every night at restaurants so you know fine dining runs on everyone being able to come and 90% of our guests are normal families couples um, people by themselves that are either celebrating a milestone or just really wanted to have a really exciting fun night and you know they haven't seen their guests for a long time or they just graduated or it's a big anniversary but it's not it's nothing to do with for them it's 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 not they're not the ultra rich we're just coming for a wednesday night dinner because you can it's it's something really special and most of our guests book three months you know in advance so we we like we're, we're fully aware that every guest sitting in the restaurant well nearly every guest generally booked three months ago Generally, this is a lot of money for them to spend on dinner, um, and you know they people work hard for for their money, and also now you know things are getting much more expensive. So it's a lot of money to to trust us with, and to trust us with their big celebration. So it's we we understand it's a big responsibility to to make sure that we provide what because we know they've they've been so looking forward to coming in. They've, you know they're texting their friends. You know they may have gone. And bought a new suit or new dress or something so they can you know really look good and they like they they plan it and they you know they like this is just what people do when they before they come to top places and especially people that don't do it all the time and it's a really um, precious thing for them so yeah we, we fully understand when people are coming with us we, we don't we don't, even though we do it every single every single night you know lunch or lunch or dinner sometimes 
the guests coming in, they they don't care. They booked three months ago. It's their big occasion. They've saved up for it. They've gone and bought their nice new shirt, you know. And we, and it's for us. We 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 really need to treat them like it's the first ever time we've done this, and we're gonna try to give them, you know, blow them away. And 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 uh, yeah. It's, but for us, our guests aren't. They're, they're definitely not the ultra ultra elite or anything. It's 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 a mixture of, you know, everyone. Hmm. Um, yeah, so what about the people that do come again and again? Is Yeah, I mean, is it because, you know, you've got a tasting menu. Is it hard to uh, give them an experience that always feels fresh? Uh, it, it, it's definitely harder because, I mean, we do have quite a few regulars, to be honest. Um, but they, they almost become part of, you know, we, you know, they have our numbers. They, they text us, you know, like they – they just become more like they're just coming to our house for dinner. They, they're so comfortable with us. You know, they might come, you know, 10, 10, 12 times a year. They, you know, we just get to know them really well. Um, so it's less about like, oh, this is a big surprise of, a you know, the souffles come in. Like obviously they've had that so many times. But it's just, you know, for, the, the, for them it changes and they become, uh, you know, they're becoming a – you know, just more part of like coming over for our house for dinner more so than coming for the big, you know, experience. But the menu changes, you know, regularly enough that most people, there's always something new. Like it's unless you came, you know, within a few weeks of each other, like you, you generally have always a different menu. Um, and we get to know what people like. we got one guest, Patrick, for example. He hates Australian cheese, but he, he he's just, he's just an ob. Like we love him dearly, but he's just, he just got this thing against Australian cheese, which is just Patrick. Like we just, it's just how he is. Um, so you know, Raj will go to the market every time we know he's coming and buy a big spread of French cheeses, super stinky French cheeses, um, just for him. Um, and he he loves that. So he'll come in. All the table will have um, is a dairy farmer as well, which is iconic, ironic. But all the table will have. Uh, you know, because we only serve Australian cheeses on the cheese trolley, really amazing um, local cheeses. But he'll sit there and happily have his big French stinky cheeses and his, his uh, lavash and fruit bread and he's happy as hell. So, you know, everyone's different. But we, we'll, for those people that come all the time, we'll personalize the experience, whatever they prefer. So, you know, I'm not one of those chefs that's like, this is what we do. You're coming here. This is what you're going to have. Um, for, for me, ultimately, it's, it's a you know, there, there is a point where it crosses, and you're like, "No, that's we're not going to do that." But from ultimately, if we can make the guests feel like they've been looked after at the best level, they've had just what they wanted. You know, they didn't, they weren't forced to have anything they didn't want. Then that's that's what we'll do. So we do have regulars, and we we try to keep it fun with them. But it gets to a point where they're just almost it's like they're um, like Patrick's, like he's almost like family to us now. Um, so. Yeah. Love it. Um, what about Shannon, Hugh? I mean, how important a figure is he in your life? Um, well, the relationship's changed. Like we're more, I'd say, friends now than than sort of, you know, colleagues or anything. Um, but we speak, you know, we'll text once a week back and forth about random stuff. If he's in Melbourne, um, we'll, you know, always catch up and grab dinner or, you know, a drink or something. Um and he's just yeah. If I would go to Byron, I'll, I'll you know crush with him. And like I've known, I guess I guess I've known him for you know over ten years now. Um, so it's gone to the point we just you know we've known each other for a long time. We have very strong mutual respect for each other. Um, 
we trust each other and yeah we I still look up to him and what he's achieved from you know he grew up in West Meadows or something a real working class area of Melbourne um, and then you know on his own built you know a multi-million dollar um, you know restaurant and then sold it really successfully and it's done really well outside of outside of the restaurant world as well and he's just yeah I really look up to him as a as someone who came, he, he came, you know, really from not much um, financially wise to, to being a super successful, um, you know, person. He's only, you know, he, he's been around for a long time. He's still only like 47 or something like that. Uh, you know, maybe he's 40, yeah, 47, 48. But, you know, as a, as a, as a role model, he's inc- incredibly inspiring of what he's achieved um, and very, from where he, you know, what he started and where he is now. So, but yeah, we're we're definitely just you know we're, we're mates. Like when we speak now, it's it's not like you know we chat less about work and more about you know life stuff than anything else. What about your own ambitions, Hugh? Um, you you'd have to be an ambitious person to get to the position that you're in, even though you do come across as pretty easygoing. What's the what's what do you see for yourself? What's the path you lay out for before you? Um, I, I mean, I take it as it comes, but um, I always have a, a set of, you know, I do definitely have things I want to achieve myself. Um, but yeah, I just take it as take it as it comes. Um, you know, generally the opportunity, you know, you you know when an opportunity is right and to to try to grasp it and when one's to let go. Um, but I definitely want to, you know, views a big part of my life and that that will remain. But I definitely will eventually want to, you know, build something. And, and you know another what you know whatever it ends up being, but from from scratch as well. Um, just be, you know, just because uh, <laughs> I would want to, um, and just really build something super special that you know I've I've sort of crafted from the beginning, um, and sort of create my own legacy in a way, like you know, like Shannon has. Um, but yeah, view view will always be part of you know, my you know has been for a long time and will continue to be so. Um, Hugh, I know that Robbie Bell's been an important person to you through your career. You worked with him when you when you started at Rockpool, um, and yeah, he's he's been a guest on this podcast. Um, but I also listened to his podcast that you were on, and I thought that was really a really nice snapshot. You chatted to him while you were working at Noma, and I would love um, you to tell the story <laughs> that you told him about the first time you took a dish to a table at Voudemont. Oh, yeah, well, I think I got away with this one, but um, no, I, I uh, so I was obviously I was downstairs. I didn't, I didn't uh, like have much service experience whatsoever, and I, you know, it's probably Corey or someone was like, you know, Hugh, take take this dish to table seven, and it was in a little. This, there's a little sauce that was spooned on the table, and I was so nervous, like incredibly nervous, um, and I was so like shaky, like it's like when you've been in a fight or like a confrontation, and you're shaky. And you're like your legs are a bit jelly, and you sort of like you just you, you're like just so on edge, and like you just like you you're just like so anxious and jelly like in your body. And I was like that, and I'm taking this copper pot with sauce in it, and just shaking like you know all hell. I don't even like I wasn't comfortable with the dish was like I was just should not have been taken to the table. Did you know where table seven was? I know what table seven was. I know I know that because there's only seventeen tables, so it's it's pretty easy to remember that, but. I was just so nervous. Anyway, I sourced, I'm pretty sure I sourced the first guy rather successfully. And then the next one, I just somehow dropped the copper pot all over the table, <laughs> all over the guests. 
probably spilt wine. Like I just made a, sh- you know, shambles of the whole situation. And like I didn't even want to turn around and make to get eye contact because table seven is like directly in front of the kitchen, sort of against the window. So there's no heart in it. Um, and I like it was just like shame, shame, shame. I turned around. I'm pretty sure Corey didn't say anything. To be honest, I don't. I can't remember if he, he he saw it or didn't see it. But I'm pretty sure either I felt like I got away with it. Obviously, the, everyone else saw it. At the front of the house and everyone saw it because I had to clean it up. Um, I'm pretty sure we had to comp the guy's meal. But um, I'm, I'm I don't know if Corey just let me go on that one and just didn't want to make. He knew that my shame and my embarrassment was enough. You know, <laughs> he didn't need to give me any more you know shit for it he, he knew that that would be i'll be going home broken and upset about it um but luckily the two people i think were quite nice about it but and that was yeah that was my first experience running food and dealing with a guest so I, I guess it could only have gone up from there <laughs> well you've definitely come a long way and um yeah it's been been a pleasure to um watch the part of your journey that i've had the privilege to see and i look forward to seeing um what happens in the years to come but thank you so much for um spending time with us today on the podcast helping me celebrate my milest- my milestone um yeah and uh, yeah really appreciate your stories your insights and um yeah look forward to many more great meals you too thanks so much Danny. all the best for everything and 500 more podcasts this is dirty linen and i'm danny valent we air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about hearing from different people with unique perspectives we want to hear from you as well if you have something that needs to be said about a topic get in touch so we can include your perspective Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.